Welcome to Out of the Mouth of Babes, our podcast for our future leaders. Today we have a very special guest in the house, Mr. Ron Oler, or Dr. Ron Oler. Um, Ron, first we will let the students share a little bit about themselves and then turn it over to you for an introduction. And then from that point, they'll be asking you questions and then I'll come back towards the end and sum it all up. Sounds good. My name is Kira Hanley. I'm a junior at Richmond High School. Um, I'm involved with the girls basketball team. Um, I play golf. I'm in the Wayne County Riders. I'm in the RDMs. And I am in the Radiate Bible Study Group at my school. My name is Kevin Hanley Jr. Um, I wrestle and I play football at Richmond High School. I'm a senior now. Uh, I'm part of the RHS Green Club, the Wayne County Riders, um, and I dabble in mentoring and such. Good deal. So, Ron, tell us a little bit about you and why. Kevin and I were just talking a few minutes ago. Like Kevin, I wrestled in high school. Mm-hmm. Did a little football, basketball, baseball, but mostly wrestling. Um, anyways, so hi, yes, I'm Ron Oler. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm the Republican candidate for Richmond next, Richmond's next mayor. And I'm the only mayoral candidate endorsed by our Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch, our U.S. Senator Mike Braun, our State Senator Jeff Rotz, and our State Representative Brad Barrett. And just so you know, I am a lifelong resident of Richmond, Wayne County. Uh, that little house I was born in on South 13th and Worley is still down there, <laughs> although we've moved around since then a few times. Uh, been married 38 years. Uh, actually, I married uh, Sherry. You'll, you'll like this. Uh, Sherry and I met as part of a junior leaders event, which was like a precursor to what you're doing here, mm-hmm. junior leaders across the high schools. And I was in 10th grade. And then three years after high school, got married and been married 38 years since. My family, the Oler name, if you may or may not know this, um, the Olers were part of the early settlers here. Mm-hmm. Out in the northeastern part of the county, there's Clyde Oler Road and W. Oler Road. It was our great-great-grandfather and his brother Wesley are somewhere in that range. It may be great-great-great-grandfather. I don't know. <laughs> Somebody's lost the history there. But um, So I've been on council for 12 years, uh, served on a lot of different commissions and committees, and ready for your questions. Okay. You, you did mention, and you want to ask about education in a bit? Yeah, I'll ask about okay. education a little bit later. Okay. Um, my first question is, so today we've talked a lot about Richmond and how it's, how it's a good place. And my question to you is, how would you market Richmond to somebody who's never been? Richmond is a, a city with a great, amazing history. And, and taking that history and what we have today, I think we have a really brilliant future. You know, at one time, the turn of the 1900s, uh, Richmond had more millionaires per capita than any other city in the U.S. The whole millionaires road they call out there yeah. along 40, and our historic homes are just incredible. So going forward, I think we have an opportunity to save some of those homes, and that's one of the things I want to work on. Uh, revitalizing these communities, these local communities and historic homes are very important to the, to the future of Richmond. Not just because they're our past, but because Richmond's probably has an identity crisis. If you before your time, we had the Rose City, we had all the, the roses, we had the Rose Festival. Mm-hmm. There's a picture on a Palladium item of Sherry and I were dating in high school, riding a float between the Wayne County Historical Museum and the Palladium Item Building as part of the Rose Parade, and it was pretty awesome. We were just teenagers riding a float. But now, without the the, the roses anymore, the Rose Parade. One of the things I want to do as mayor is come back into the schools and ask you, what do you think you are? And probably as a competition. Mm-hmm. What, we're not the Rose City anymore. Are we the pet food city? Maybe. 
<laughs> are we historic Richmond? Hopefully. Are we the birthplace of recorded jazz? Yes, we are. Yep. Did Hoagie Carmichael record here? Yes, he did. Um, plastics, aviation, automobiles, airplanes were built here. What's our future? It's entirely up to you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. okay. Can you explain your stance on promoting diversity, inclusion, and equality within our community? Yes. I worked in higher education for 21 years as a campus director, a dean, and a department chair. And we always, um, in higher education, our mission is to serve everyone. And in my hiring practices, because I basically hired a lot of faculty, hire based upon qualities. Mm-hmm. There's no demographic uh, determination as to who you hire and don't hire. It's all about abilities. I got to work, I mentioned earlier, I got to, got to work in Africa. Mm-hmm. And where I was working in Africa, there was 32 Caucasians and 250,000 Africans, and we worked together great for uh, a month at a time. And because we're, we're all humans, we're... The life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness is, is the foundation of this nation. And diversity, some will say diversity makes us stronger, and it definitely does, but a lack of diversity makes us weaker. Mm-hmm. So that's diverse ideas of thought or how we move this city forward. Okay, my next question for you is because you asked me about education. Can you outline your strategy for improving education and providing equal opportunities for all students in, within the city? I do that by giving you an example of what I did. Um, when I was hired by Ivy Tech in 1999 as a department chair, mm-hmm. um, I had the opportunity to go into the high schools and reestablish what we call dual credit agreements. Yep. Uh, nobody had done them for quite a while, and I thought this was important. So a dual credit agreement is you take certain high school classes and earn a passing grade. That's important, an A, B, or C. You take a certain class, and that class shows up on your transcript at Ivy Tech, and that saves you thousands of dollars later on in tuition. But now there, there, there are 60 colleges and universities in Indiana. We have a very diverse higher education system. Yep. So those credits would not just transfer to Ivy Tech as they still do today. You could transfer to, to Purdue, to IU, wherever you want to go. I've taught for Indiana Wesleyan. I've taught for Purdue. I still teach for IU East. I haven't taught for Ivy Tech for three years now. I retired from there in 2020 to do some other things. But making... Higher education, affordable, is something I worked on very hard for two decades and will continue to strive for and continue to knock on the governor's door if I have to to continue to make <laughs> higher education affordable. So you, so you submit me and you are basically best friends because I take all those dual credit and AP and like double awesome. enrollment classes. So yeah. Awesome. So, so you're my guy then. Glad okay. to do that. We, we thought about it back in the, back in the 90s. Um, there had been a, a dearth of the dual credit agreements and we were looking at the expense of higher education and money families were spending, mm-hmm. and we're trying to find a way to save money. So we did a couple of things. Statewide, Ivy Tech changed its mission to be a true community college and started offering general education classes. And statewide, we met with the presidents of Purdue and IU and made sure those credits would transfer over. So it saves you a lot of time and a lot of money, and your parents a lot of money. <laughs> I'm sure Dad appreciates that. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Okay, my next question for you is how do you plan to engage with the youth population to involve them in decision-making processes that affect their future? That's a great question. When, when the late Sally Hutton was mayor, I was on council during her term. She had this youth council 
one of the things I'm going to create is a community advisory council that'll meet regularly. And a community advisory council, the mayor's not the only leader in the city. There's leaders in the business world. There's leaders in real estate development. There's leaders in manufacturing. There's leaders in healthcare. And there's leaders in youth. So this community advisory council will also include people from the youth. So I will reach out to Kevin and others and say, send me some of your best and brightest youth and I want them to come to this council and tell me what they need out of Richmond. Mm -hmm. One of the problems we have in Richmond, one of the challenges we have, is we have so many young people that finish high school here, go to college here or elsewhere, and then move away and don't come back. They move to the donut cities of Indianapolis, or like my nieces living in, in, in Oregon now, or my nephew down in Bloomington, mm -hmm. or I can just go on and on and on. I only have a few family members who stayed there, young people. So one of the challenges we have is how do we get them to come back here and stay here? And... I don't have the answer. I think you have the answer. Yeah. I think the youth can tell me what we need to make this a place that's more attractive to young people. Yeah. Okay. My next question for you, kind of, it switches a little bit from the schools and more back to the, the public. So how do you plan to, it's, a, it's like a three-part question, so it's going to be a little bit longer. How do you plan to address affordable housing, public transportation, and homelessness in the city? Cool. Let's talk about housing first. Okay. It's, it's no secret that Richmond has a quality housing shortage. Mm -hmm. I plan to tackle these issues from both sides of the equation. First of all, the city and the county are right now, actually Monday night we'll vote on this, applying for a grant with the Indiana Housing Authority to build the Townsend townhomes in the former Nicholson site. Mm -hmm. The city is going to put in 50000 the county is going to put in 50000 and they're going to build $12.5 million of townhomes on the Foreman Nicholson site. That'll help people who need to get out of some poorly maintained rental homes. And I'm using a polite phrase here. I don't want to say what we call some of these poorly maintained rental homes. So that's one thing we can do. Mm -hmm. The second thing we can do, the city can help develop, there's, there's plans for a new mixed housing addition on the southeast side um, over behind Walmart mm -hmm. that'll have 90 units, apartments and houses. And it's been in a plan, it's been sitting there for a while. I will, as, as mayor, ensure that we find the resources as a city to subsidize, by subsidize I mean that we find a way to provide the underground and above ground infrastructure at little to no cost for the developer. The biggest holdback right now is the cost of getting the sewer lines in there, the gas lines in there, the water lines in there, the electric in there, and the, the streets, the curb cuts, and the sidewalks. And the city can play a part in that. We can use some of our financial resources and play a part of that. If we do that, that'll bring the cost down the developer and maybe this thing will actually come to fruition and come to happen. Right now, they're building new homes in the $300,000 range and even I don't qualify for one of those. That's out of my budget too. <laughs> so we need to find a way to build homes, you know, middle-class homes around $200,000. And the way we do that is the government helps out the developer by providing some of the costs. Yeah. What was your next one? Yeah, three parts. That was first It part. was public transportation. Public transportation. We are down um, two bus drivers. We're short two bus drivers right now, so I know that the routes have changed and they're limited. Uh, Roseview Transit, I think, is a really good asset here. Mm -hmm. I think more people should use it. I know it takes a little bit of time to get from here to there to get from there to here. Back in the 1800s, 1900s, we had a trolley that ran through here. You can still see the, the grade going into Glen Miller Park. A flat spot you know i'm not saying bring that back but <laughs> we do have affordable bus system we need to find some more drivers we need to adjust the routes as needed mm -hmm. and personally i have my phones out there i have the bird app on my phone for bird scooters i've used it in austin texas i've used it in bloomington use it in indianapolis mm -hmm. 
Somebody needs to bring the bird scooters to Richmond <laughs> so I can, yeah. you know. I've always wanted, that. I always wanted to have that. So. <laughs> but sidewalks, I mean, we have, yeah, we do a pretty good job with sidewalks. You may not know this. Um, when the state rebuilt 8th and 9th Street, they put in some really good sidewalks. Yeah. When the city works in a neighborhood, we don't really necessarily have a fund for sidewalks. When we mm. do streets, we use a community crossings matching grant from the state. And we mill and pave streets. We don't really have money for sidewalks. We get money from sidewalks by saving from other areas. But the other way we get it, in our economic development projects, we offer things called tax abatements. Mm -hmm. So tax abatements on real estate and personal equipment. And every tax abatement that we offer, we ask them for a 10% donation. So if we've saved you $100,000 on your taxes this year, would you donate $10,000 to our sidewalk fund? That's 100% where it goes. So we have quite a few businesses that do that. So they donate money to the sidewalk fund. So we have a plan in place. If there's a sidewalk that's rough and it's up one inch, it's either one inch or three-quarter inch, I think it's an inch, that's a broken spot, then we get in and replace it as soon as we can. So walkability is important. Mm -hmm. Public transportation is important. What was your last one, part? Homelessness. 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 Yeah, that's a tough one. We have a lot of non-government organizations, NGOs, doing a great job. Mm -hmm. And the government, the city of Richmond, can help with some of those areas. And how could we help? We have some money set aside for some other projects so we could even help them with some funding. But that's not it, really. The real answer is complicated and will take a long time. The real answer goes back 30 years. Yeah. And it's, it's a long conversation. I've had the conversation with the Indiana State Hospital Association and some of their superintendents of what happened 30 years ago is the American Psychological Association said, Having people with mental illness living in one community is detrimental to them. We need to just put them out in a community. Well, what happens? That, that They struggle. They don't have a place mm -hmm. to stay. They freeze. You know, We had one last winter died in a fire at a warehouse down here. It was just tragic yeah. and terrible. I think it's more cruel what they did to just say, here, go live on the streets, then bring them back. Mm -hmm. They had a life. They had a house. They had greenhouses. They had gardens. They had cows. Mm -hmm. They had horses. They basically had their own community where they were taken care of. And, I, and not all homeless people have this mental illness issue, but from what I understand, probably 80% of them or so do. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the government at the state level needs to step up and actually the national level. So talk, these talks are going on in different states right now that maybe we did the wrong thing 30 years ago that we needed the government to step in at the federal and state level and say, we need to provide housing for these people so they don't have to live in the woods behind the mall or something. It's crazy. Yeah. Okay, my next question is, why Richmond? Like, what do you love about Richmond for you to be here running for mayor? What do I love about Richmond? Richmond's my home. Uh, born here, raised here. Um, and I mentioned earlier, when I traveled the world and built radio stations, I was often tempted to relocate somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But I always came back here, always came back to my home, because my family's here. Family's important. In my whole life, if you look at my three priorities in my life, it's faith, family, community. My church, my family, and my community are the three things that are important to me. I consider myself middle class. I could live anywhere in the United States. I, I could move tomorrow, but I don't want to because this is my home. I'm vested here, and my family's here, and I have friends here. People I went to school with are here, and some of them are struggling, and I help them out the best I can. I have widows on both sides of me. We make sure their yard's okay. We make sure this stuff, their houses are okay. We make sure they're okay on a regular basis. And that's what neighborhood's about. Richmond is a great neighborhood city. We've got neighbors taking care of neighbors. And I want to continue that and push that. I, my marketing team, 
created these billboards. You've probably seen them with me and my wife and my mm -hmm. dog because I'm a big pet lover. <laughs> I had something totally different in mind. I had this Uncle Sam that, and I was going to be Uncle Sam and say, Richmond needs you. Every, every billboard say, Richmond needs you. And what does it need you to do? It needs you to take care of your neighbor. It needs you to stay in school. Mm -hmm. It needs you to go to college. It needs you to get to work. It needs you to walk around your little block and pick up trash yeah. and be a good neighbor and a good community citizen. That's what Richmond needs from every one of us. Okay. But they wouldn't let me do that ad campaign. So I just did it. Now you know. <laughs> Richmond needs you to take care of your neighborhood and yourself. Marketing controls everything. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> my next question is, it's still about the public. How will you support local businesses and encourage economic growth in our community? Great question. Uh, small and large business. So I grew up around small business. I've owned small business. And in my, we'll call it my campaign for mayor, the different groups I've met with, I've met with small business owners three times, mm -hmm. downtown and depot small business owners three times. And I met with them to listen to them, not to tell them what I'm going to do, but to listen to them. They know what they want to do. They know what they need to do. They know the plans. I'm listening to them and saying, what do you need me to do with this street? What do you need me to do with that street? What do I need to do with this facade? What can I do to help? Small business is the backbone of America. Large business, I've been the liaison to the Economic Development Corporation of Wayne County for 12 years. So I'm there to make sure they get all the funding they need and to make sure all their projects pass. So we brought Boo Buffalo here. Um, Liberation Labs is coming. Wolverine Worldwide. We took that abandoned office building on 35, was um, perfect circle, and got Wolverine Worldwide to move in here. And a bunch of other wins like that. So we need to attack it from both ends. Uh, and... and I think we've done a really good job at the, the big business level with the economic development course in Wayne County, but I think the city administration has kind of lost touch with small business. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at the downtown. They're, they're gone. Where'd they go? So we need to get them back here. We need, we need to communicate with them, listen to them, and they'll be on that community advisory council along with you. Yeah. And you can say, hey, I want this kind of store here too, by the way. If you've ever been to Middletown, Ohio, there, there's Grandpa's Candy Store. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. I recommend you check it out. My next question for you is, um, what events led you to you wanting to run for mayor? What led me to want to run for mayor? Like I yeah. said, I've been on council for 12 years, and the timing is right. Everything in your life is about timing. Mm -hmm. You're about to graduate high school. You got some college choices or work choices. You know, I took a gap year before I went to college because I didn't know what I wanted to do, and it was the best thing I did. And then I, I'll tell you about my college career later on. So it's all about timing. So I said three years ago, I left Ivy Tech after a 21-year career, did just about everything there. And I came back and helped the family business, a project manager in a construction company. And with my experience as an engineer, education, and a project manager, after a lot of heartfelt thoughts last year, it led me to decide that I could be a really good mayor. But it's not just me. It's everybody around me. People kept asking me for an entire year. It was January last year they started asking me, why don't you run for mayor? They put the idea in my head. <laughs> and, and I couldn't come up with a good answer why not. With all of my, my skill set, my experience, and my passion for the city, I couldn't give an answer why not. Okay. That was, uh, sorry, that was really good. That was, got me thinking about that. Okay, so... It really got me thinking about that. <laughs> My bad. Okay, so <laughs> what measures will you implement to ensure the safety of our neighborhoods and reduce crime rates? That's great. So the second largest group I've met with are law enforcement officers over the course of this campaign. 
Um, one of the things I, I've, we've talked about is reestablishing relationship with the neighborhood associations, reactivating the neighborhood associations. That's the first step in bringing back a community policing model that we had here maybe 20 years ago that worked really well. Crime in the neighborhoods is, is a huge problem right now. Theft of property and other crimes in the neighborhoods is, is a huge problem. And the way you solve that is that neighbors keep a lookout and you establish, you hire up the law enforcement. We've got to hire quite a few more law enforcement officers. Mm -hmm. And you have a law enforcement officer who is assigned to that neighborhood. So the neighborhood watch, if it's what you want to call them. I don't want to call them that. But if they see something, they know they can call Officer Roberts because Officer Roberts is on duty second shift. And Officer Roberts will respond because Officer Roberts knows where this person lives. And this person's keeping an eye out on that neighborhood. So that whole community policing model, and there's a lot more to it than that, but it's just getting you involved in your public safety. So see something, say something. Mm -hmm. don't, don't be afraid to call 911 if you need to, and we'll get somebody out there to see what's going on. The, the way to, other way to stop crime is, of course, is to increase patrols. So I want to expand our take-home car uh, with the officers, for Richmond police officers. They just started doing that a little bit again, but I, I want to practically insist that every officer takes home a car. If there's a car parked in the neighborhood and around you know this block, there's less crime in that block. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The well, I won't go into that. So <laughs> I was going to give you what one of the donut cities Minneapolis did, but I'll save that for another time. <laughs> I don't want to spend half an hour here and bore people. <laughs> okay. Um, what steps can you take to promote sustainable and environmentally friendly practices within our city? Good question. Good question. During COVID, I met with Elijah Welch, the engineer of the sanitation department. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, it was like the third month into COVID, I asked Elijah, what can we do about all these cardboard boxes? Mm -hmm. And I had a vision of getting some dumpsters, cardboard boxes, because everybody was ordering stuff from Amazon. Mm -hmm. They weren't shopping anymore. It's coming from Amazon. We were in a day with cardboard boxes at the landfill. Mm -hmm. I said, what can we do to recycle cardboard boxes? Can we get some dumpsters and cut a slot in them, place them around the city and put it in there? And we thought that was a great idea. But then the state came up with a grant idea of the cardboard rollers we have today. So that whole thing grew out of just this conversation of what can we do to stop throwing cardboard in a landfill and be more sustainable. So now we have the cardboard rollers. My family's recycled as much as we can all the time. The other thing um, we're doing, we're going to put some money toward a landfill diversion program at the landfill. So when building materials come in, that wood scrap can be taken elsewhere and can be used to make OSB, can make other products instead of just going to landfill. So there's a lot of scraps that come into landfill that can be diverted. We just have to put a little money toward it so we don't fill up our landfill with stuff that could be reused. So I'm all in favor of that. We tried to do gas wells at the landfill about 12 years ago, but there really wasn't enough gas coming out of the landfill to actually capture it and do something with it. So they still just burn it off today, but we tried. So anything. Um, in my role on Richmond Power and Light, we worked with Meyer several years ago to get the Tesla's charging stations in there for electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. And working with Meyer, we talked to Meyer that we're going to put these Tesla superchargers in, and there's going to be this box with all the transformer equipment that RPNL owns. Can you leave us some parking spaces on the other side for RPNL to put level two chargers? And they did. That's why there's eight parking spaces over there. We were just about to install them. We had an agreement with a company called ChargePoint, which is all over the nation, app on your phone for charge your EV, not a Tesla, but you know another. And then the state came along and said they're going to use the Volkswagen satellite to build those. And that was like four years now. So we're still waiting on the state to build those, but I just heard last week that they're finally moving forward with bringing those 
electric vehicle chargers in. The reason I bring that up is Northeastern is going to get some electric buses. I think the city needs to look at some electric buses. So mm-hmm. we'll let them pilot them. And if they work really well, maybe we'll convert our Roseview Transit Freight to electric. Yeah. Maybe we'll convert some other vehicles to electric. Right now, electric Tesla police cars can be a thing, but they're crazy expensive. Yeah. Much more than the Dodge Chargers and the Ford Explorers we have. Mm-hmm. So until it becomes economical, we we'll probably won't do that. Although I would like to see that. All right. Ron, thank you for stopping in to Out of the Mouth of Babes. Good. This is your time for what I call the elevator speech, the uh, conclusion statement. So please share with us. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun. It's been nice meeting you guys. This is pretty cool. I'm, I remember years ago, Kevin, you told me this was here, but I never made it up. So I'm glad I finally made it up here. You're doing a great thing here. Um, just say get out and vote on the 7th. Voter turnout is tracking what it was four years ago, which is unfortunately low. Yeah. So get out and vote on November 7th, please. Uh, I hope I get your vote. I hope we've earned your vote. And one of the things I'll leave you with is that, you know, I'm happy when you said come and talk to the youth. I'm very happy to talk to the youth because, you know, the youth are our future. And our future is only as strong as our youth. So if all of our youth are as strong as these two, Fine young people right here. I think we're in good hands. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for Out of the Mouth of Babe, the podcast for our youth, our future leaders. Thank you.